Hello, hello, and welcome to DNF. That is right. It is the internet's foremost Formula One podcast. I am Spencer Hall, joined as always by, and let's see if I get this right. Oh, I did. Jessica Smetana. <laughs> hi, Spencer. From, hi, hi. We don't really have that much to discuss after the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa Francorchamps, do we? No, not not a lot happened since our last episode of DNF in the wider world of Formula One. Also, college football season didn't start, so we are both very nope. well rested. Extremely well rested. Thank you to Vandy for putting that away in the third quarter <laughs> by scoring 35 points against Hawaii, allowing us to catch at least a decent amount of sleep. Or not! So I thought before we go through the very obvious results of the spa race, i.e. Red Bull eaten. Red Bull just eating left and right, dominating this race, destroying it after maybe an interesting three or four laps to start the race and then turning it into a time trial. We haven't seen y'all in a while. We haven't seen you since the summer when Valtteri Bottas went and gallivanted nude around the Mountain West again of the United States before silly season kicked in in earnest. That might be worth a bit of a recap here. No? Spencer, your internet is cutting in and out, but I did hear you say silly season, so we can get started with that. Where where do we begin? So Should we start with the... We we talked about the Sebastian Vettel retirement, which uh, kicked off silly season, but then I guess we should talk about what happened after that, which was four days after Vettel retired, Fernando Alonso decided he was going to take that seat with Aston Martin, Uh, And guess who found out via press release that he was doing that? That would be the team principal of Alpine, Fernando Alonso's Mm -hmm. current team. Probably not the best way to find out that your driver is leaving, but also from what it sounds like, Fernando Alonso wanted more of a long-term contract with them. He wasn't getting it. Uh, Alpine maybe kind of had one eye on Alonso, one eye on an Mm up-and-coming driver to compliment Esteban Ocon. So... I guess, do you give props to Alonzo for, for doing this all sneakily or, or is it, you know, kind of a little leaving your team in the lurch? I am all for the labor angle of this, which is I will always root for labor, even if that labor is compensated at an outrageous rate of, you know, $10 million a year to drive in sixth place. I will also say this, that he's 41 and he's still producing. So I get where Alpine wants to go with the general direction of the team. However, I will also state that Alonso has as much of an argument to say, I'm still productive. As you saw today, by the way, with the strong performance, I think that that I get both sides of it. But if you retreat to a yacht and then are incommunicado during negotiations and just say you've left, I think that's awesome. I'm all in favor of avoiding your problems and staying on a yacht. I do not think my internet is working. Mm, Let that's me all right. we'll pause a- for a second, Spencer, and we can figure this out. I will vamp. Go, go vamp, BRB. In the meantime, though, I do understand this, that if you are going to try and solve both of your problems, i.e. that you are a race team trying to solve your long-term solution for a driver and additionally trying to, as an older driver, maintain your spot, that's what Aston Martin's for, baby. Okay? Vettel just retired. They have a seat for old guys. It's like the official constitutionally approved old guy seat in F1 is to go to Aston Martin, be sort of competitive there, and raise a younger driver along the way. Fine. This seems like it worked out at all. Maybe we do this too. Maybe we talk about how Alpine 
definitely did not solve their problems afterward because Alpine named reserve driver Oscar Piastri to their team. There was one problem with this. That was because Piastri publicly announced that he was not going to drive for Alpine the next year and that he had not signed a contract with them. Piastri, a Formula 3 and Formula 2 champion who has nothing but accolades coming into the sport backwards and on fire thanks to a what is either a contractual misunderstanding or a power play on his part to go to McLaren. McLaren, of course, totally fine at this point because this is a normal sport uh, set with two outstanding drivers with no problems whatsoever. Or maybe with a driver, Daniel Ricciardo, who suffers from a kind of career ADHD, switching from one team to another, to another, seemingly leaping without looking, ending up at McLaren, and never really coming together there for one reason or another. Um, it's either him, the car, or the marriage between. I'm not really sure which one it was. I will say this. I just wish that Daniel Ricciardo would go ahead and start his uh, career as like the, the Pat McAfee, the media mogul of F1, somebody everyone likes who maybe isn't necessarily the most productive player on the field. I just feel like there's there's some sort of podcast empire waiting to happen there for him. According to an interview of pre-race, by the way, which I thought was a great piece of interviewing by the F1 crew, Daniel Ricciardo is not ready for that. Daniel Ricciardo still loves racing. The phone has been ringing for Daniel Ricciardo, according to Daniel Ricciardo. So he's still going to get that opportunity. But McLaren... Clearly, signing by, by signing Oscar Piastri, they have, too, declared the direction of their race team for 2023. Um, the chaos isn't quite done at that point, by the way, because, of course, there is a, an insane conspiracy theory. Jessica, can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, which conspiracy theory are we talking about? The, Fior- ta- uh, the, the uh, uh, yes. Flavio Briatore conspiracy theory, Spencer? Yes. We are talking about my favorite thing, conspiracy theories in F1. This one in particular, the Flavio Brattori conspiracy theory. If you want to take us through that. Okay, so Flavio Briatore is slash maybe was, I'm not sure if he still is, Fernando Alonso's manager. He also managed Mark Weber, who is Oscar Piastri's manager. So there's a conspiracy theory that, Briatore knew that Alonso would be switching teams and gave Piastri the heads up and then kind of somehow behind the scenes worked out the timing so that Piastri would be able to, you know, not stick with Alpine because there was a a rumor or maybe a report of this July 31st date that um, would then make his Alpine contract voided and he would be able to join McLaren. So I'm not sure if you if you cover all this while you were vamping Spencer, but Essentially, Alpine thinks that since they spent a lot of money on Piastri mm-hmm. and put him through like driver simulation school, all this stuff, he was an, their academy driver, yeah. like he should honor their contract regardless. But this will be litigated in, in the international motorsporting courts. But via this conspiracy theory, Piastri knew all of this. And this was a really calculated move by Alonso um, via the timing of making the announcement being right after that July 31st date. Now, I have not been a fan of Formula One for very long, Spencer. So Flavio Briatore mm-hmm. is a name that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. So I went on his Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. That's one of those wiki pages where you look at the subheaders and you're just like, wow, this guy's done 
a lot of stuff in his life. Can you can you take us through who this person is? And again, for legal reasons, I'd like to reiterate, we are just repeating what the conspiracy theory is. I'm not saying that any of this is true. Please send all litigation to Spencer Hall of the Shutdown Fullcast. Um, this Thank is just you. this is yeah. just me repeating the rumors from the internet. As a fake attorney, I'm more than welcome to this. By the way, uh, by the way, shouts out to everyone in the comments. We do read them as they go, including this one. Any conspiracy involving a man named Flavio is almost certainly true. Blatant anti-Italian bias. I mean, you're right, but. If your name is Flavio Bertori and you were involved in both the Benetton Company and you are involved in F1, chances are eventually you're going to be convicted or at least charged with something outrageous, in my opinion. <laughs> Flavio Bertori, by the way, part of the Benetton scandal. You should know, by the way, that in addition to like all of this kind of stuff, the Benetton Company at one point, uh, I believe, helped manage Italy's roads. Like they had a contract to manage Italy's roads. So the same people who were making uh, sort of pastel sweatshirts at one point were also under contract to help manage Italy's bridges. Uh, did one of those bridges collapse under disastrous circumstances in Genoa? Yes. Yes, one of them did actually, killing a lot of people. So just notice, know that like once you start pulling the threads here of Flavio Bertori Benetton and the Italian power structure you're going to end up in a lot of really weird places and there's going to be a few collapsed bridges. Okay. So did I answer your question about who Flavio Bertori is? Kind of, kind of. And at this point, I would believe anything in terms of conspiracy theories in F1 because, and this is why I'm not normally a conspiracy theory guy, but what do you need for a successful conspiracy? You need a small number of people who can shut up. And what I know about <laughs> F1 is this, it's a very small little universe, right? And most of them do a pretty good job shutting up. It especially helps when a lot of the questions are coming in your second or third language. I think you answered my question without answering my question, but I think I get it now. I No, no notes, Spencer. So all of this happened over the summer break. Now, Daniel Ricardo is out, like you mentioned. The interview before the race today was very, I don't know, it was... It was sad. He seems like he does mm -hmm. want to race in F1, but he doesn't want to race for Williams. That was my <laughs> interpretation That's, of it. Just, just don't, <laughs> don't like, I think he's like, no, Nicholas Latifi is an important part of the sport. Keep him there. Right. Oh, Nicholas Latifi. Maybe we can get to him later. However, Ricardo's out at McLaren. Piastri's probably in at McLaren. And Pierre Gasly is now rumored to be Alpine's new driver, which means they will have an all French team at Alpine. Uh, so that's very exciting news for 2023. I hope Daniel Ricardo finds a seat because he's one of my favorite drivers and he has a ton of fans, especially here in the States. Um, so I think it, it probably is something that Formula One also would like to see is him staying in Formula One and not joining another racing series or, or taking a sabbatical or, or something like that. So wherever he ends up, other than Williams, um, I, I hope it works out for him. He's just a fun person to have around the paddock. Agreed. I will also state that as the only American driver in F1, Daniel Ricciardo needs to stay in for marketing purposes. Full concur. <laughs> Please, in the comments, do not say that he is actually Australian. I know this, but inside, in his heart, he's American. He's, he's Texan. American. He's Texan, specifically. Yeah, he's the only <laughs> Texan driver on the circuit. Um, there's another thing I want to get to before we get to the fairly obvious plot of today's race. We might 
be in for, I think, a slog of a second half for the season, one that we'll happily endure because it'll still be fairly interesting and make room noises. But there is a second subplot I want to address here, okay, which is that it has been a turbulent week for one of my favorite nations, the nation of Finland. Uh. If you are not familiar with the race today, uh, Valtteri Bottas, a reliable sixth place who's having a good year for Alpha and friend of the show. I think we can say that now. Yes, safely, 100% that, friend that of the show. Valtteri Bottas is, is a friend of the show. If you come on, we're going to be blatantly in the tank for you. Okay, not that we don't support all drivers equally, but we don't. We don't, obviously. We don't. If you do an interview with us, we're just going to be completely in the bag for you. Valtteri had a rough day as he was spun out by the reliably chaotic Nicholas Latifi. Valtteri did a phenomenal job trying to avoid contact with the Williams sliding across the track, but nonetheless spun out and off track into the pebbles, off and out of the race early on. That's bad. That's bad. We like to see Valtteri race. We like to see him get out of the first portion of the race and continue uh, his now broken streak of maintaining race integrity. However... That's not the story that I think Finland has been in the press for most. Jessica, tell me a little bit about Finland's prime minister. <sighs> so, Spencer, mm-hmm. I don't I I can only tell you what I've seen in the headlines the last couple of weeks, which was that a video surfaced of the Finnish prime minister dancing with her friends at a party that was at the prime minister's home. So, you know, a, a, her her government housing, I guess you could say. Yes. And there was a wide, widespread controversy about that because I guess you're not supposed to like look like you're having fun if you're also the leader of a no. government. And then she had to, I think she took a drug test to try to say like, hey, I was just like having fun with my friends. There's nothing like illegal going on here. Everyone needs, mm-hmm. to, needs to tone it down. But then a photo came out of friends of hers at the same, you know, the same house. as a, It's like their white house, I guess. And they were topless and kissing on camera. And yes. this kind of re-sparked controversy because, you know, maybe maybe she could have weathered the initial dancing video. But then, like, when the mm-hmm. second thing came out, everyone was like, okay, now now there's just way too much fun being had here. So what's, what's actually going on? So she, I saw she gave a, a very tearful interview um, talking about how there's, you know, a, a double standard placed on her and she's just trying to like, you know, keep cool under very high pressure times and, and such. And Spencer, Finland looks like a fun place is all I can say about this. Like it just yeah. seems, I mean, I know that people are not cool with this, but like some people are and those people yeah. seem like they are the Valtteri Botuses of the world. So I want you to contrast the previous image of Finland, which is this, a wooded, frigid place filled with caribou reindeer and people who don't like to talk that's it like famously Kimi like like Kimi Raikkonen was famous for saying three words when uh you really needed about 30 minimum to explain the situation and Kimi would simply say four and get away with it because Finns famously do not enjoy conversation however this is a bold rebranding this is somebody who's, you know, in their late 30s and has beers and parties. Someone on Twitter I, I saw said, why is Finland's prime minister forced to apologize for being cool? That's it. Every every week she's forced to apologize for rocking. Why not? This is my, like, I am totally in favor at all times 
of the leaders of countries doing this. Was I a Boris Yeltsin fan? Only in the respect that I enjoyed sometimes watching a world leader order pizza on the White House lawn at three in the morning. This brought joy to me, okay? Is it a responsible mode of leadership? For nuclear power, no. For Finland, I don't know. Like, Finland's probably got a wider margin of error for those kind of things, right? You're not going to get drunk and press the button because you don't have nukes. I'm okay with this, okay? What I'm saying is that there are turbulent times in Finland, and we need to stand by the cultural, uh, like, standard bearers, which are Santa Marin, the prime minister who parties, and Valtteri Bottas, the man who sells his butt for charity. That, to me, is what we need to remember about the nation of Finland. I believe that Jessica is rebooting yet again as the Miami internet is not cooperating. I will go ahead and proceed with some of the more brute details, some less important notes than Valtteri Bottas not finishing the race. I will start with this, that the first part of the race is marked by an incident between Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, the KG veteran that we discussed in contract terms. He is just as KG on the track, still being competitive at the age of, I believe, 41 at this point. 41 years young is Fernando Alonso. This incident, by the way, one car coming over to another, a sloppy move by Hamilton. I don't know how shook Lewis Hamilton is by this season that he made what I thought was a fairly careless move here and that somehow Fernando Alonso is not to blame here in a collision between the two. Yeah, I, I, I was sort of stunned by this as I was by the suddenness of it, especially because it looked like Mercedes was going to continue to sort of improve as a team and finish, you know, top five, maybe both of them finishing top five, maybe grabbing another podium. That was not the outcome here, thanks to a fairly, like, I thought irresponsible move by a driver who was anything but. Spencer, I have to give credit to you for vamping almost this entire episode as my brand new Metal Art computer has decided to not work with the website that we used to record this. Mm. But I did just get a message as it crapped out on me for the fourth time that said, something went wrong, but it's not your fault. And I, I... think that that is probably what Alfa Romeo's team principal said to Valtteri Bottas after lap two today. I agree. I agree. Valtteri, Valtteri and your computer both. I, it is not your fault today, Jessica, but you're going to prevail and we're going to get through this. I was talking about Lewis Hamilton's careless move against Fernando Alonso that took half Look, of the he Look, he, he owned up to it. He owned mm -hmm. up to it, Spence. What more can you say for a driver who does something stupid and then says, it was my fault. He was in my blind spot. I mean, that part, uh, maybe that was a stretch. He Did he know Fernando was there? Probably. Maybe he didn't know he was on that side of him. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he did own up to it. He said it was his mistake. I'll give him credit for that. He didn't try to, like, you know, start a little feud. I mean, there already is kind of a feud between him and Fernando. But mm -hmm. I thought Fernando Alonso's radio message was uh, an all-timer. And then I also saw, did Lewis Hamilton say in his reply something about their careers? Or was that a made-up quote that I saw on Twitter? I did not see that. I did see this quote from the radio, though, Fernando Alonso's, which was mid-race. Yeah, what an idiot. Closing the door from the outside. I mean, we had a mega start, but this guy only knows how to drive and start in first. I don't want to say that's pretty similar to my theory that the reason George Russell is doing a little bit better this year overall than Lewis Hamilton is because Russell's used to driving with a crap car and in bad position. However, I will point to this and say, I'm not the only one who suggests that this is a theory.
The Lewis Hamilton fans will defend him and say that Lewis has been using a lot of the different experimental things on his cars during mm-hmm. practice and qualifying in the first half of the season. He's gotten unlucky with safety cars. Mm-hmm. So that sometimes they're not driving the exact same car, Spencer. Sure. So I just need to put that out there okay. into the universe because I don't want Lewis Hamilton fans to yell at us. But you, there, there may be something to it. I think there's a little something to it. I don't think it explains everything, but I think it is somewhat there. <laughs> there's another uh, race, ba- race incident that I want to talk about, which is this, that we did manage to penalize Max Verstappen and get him to start in P14 before the race ever began. And it did not matter because he ate up six spots on the first lap, came from P14, grabbed P1, and turned the second half of the race into a formality. This is basically when people say, what's the worst of F1? You're like, well, there's one guy ahead by like nine laps. But today, one guy was ahead by like nine laps. It was Max Verstappen. And ultimately eating up whatever space Ferrari had. We have a unique position today, Jessica. We cannot make fun of Ferrari that much. We're going to make fun of them a little. Like maybe maybe that much. As opposed to the, the usual like, full dose of Ferrari ridicule that we usually apply to them. Is, is this for pitting Charles Leclerc at the end of the race and putting soft tires on and then him giving up a spot to Alonzo, him getting a spot back from Alonzo and mm-hmm. then him getting a five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane and ending up in sixth anyways. All right. Maybe we're going to make a little more than just a little fun of Ferrari today. Like maybe we're going to put like a good dose on them because that's pretty funny as well. But I was going to suggest this. That mid-race, when Charles Leclerc openly started lobbying while driving at 170 and 180 miles an hour for better and different pit strategies. That, to me, is the story of Ferrari. That you have the driver openly trying to dictate better pit strategy and better tire strategy from the car while he's driving. That's astonishing. It's an improvement for them. Yeah, I guess that's the like the the thing I compared it to on uh, online was saying that this is like when a quarterback just says, "I'll call the plays myself." Just stop sending them in, right? Just stop. Didn't just, didn't Kyler Murray do this in the preseason? <laughs> uh, Kyler Murray was forced to go the other way, right? They made him they made him call plays as offensive coordinator to show that it wasn't as easy. This is like when we decide to go. And it was gentle and it was subtle, which is a lot like when uh, LeBron just waves off the, 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 the coach, whoever the coach that he's hired is, right? It's whenever, you know, he starts to send in signals and he goes, no, nah, I got this. It's fine. You, you, can, you can sit down, Ty Lue, uh, Frank Vogel, whoever it is. Uh, I'll just go ahead and call the plays. That's what Charles Leclerc, we've been joking that he needs to do that for a while. And then he just started doing it mid-race. So next race, just call it. Don't even wait for them to do it. Just insist on it yourself. Because in case Leclerc hasn't had a rough enough year, he spent this race doing that and then suffering the minor but laughable debacle that he suffered on the final lap. Which, again, really didn't matter. But, like, it's just classic Ferrari that they get to the end of the race and they go, ah, they haven't done anything else embarrassing. And then they do that. Do we have any anyone else we want to mention in this race? Which, yes, did finish with Verstappen, Checo in second, Red Bull absolutely dominating. Carlos Sainz falling to third due to lack of pace. If you want to make a little more fun of Ferrari, you can say, hey, you didn't quite account for the warmer temperatures at Spa. I'm not going to blame them for that because the idea of a full sun race at Spa 
with zero rain is beyond me, but somehow that's what we got. Um, let's see who finished in fourth. Uh, Jessica, can you fi- figure out who finished in fourth? Who the best lad? The the best. George Russell finished in fourth. Yeah, that that's very that's unusual because um, you know every week we manage to issue the the lad of the week, and I just want to say this. Then all I want to do, George Russell, is take you. Take you out. We're going to take you to a store. Perhaps we'll take you to a Tesco. You're British. You all love Tesco. And I will take you to that Tesco. And I shall buy you a pudding for holding the Mercedes standard high after Lewis Hamilton. The greatest race car driver of all time, whatever. Proud Brit. Guy who owns a bulldog. I will take you to Tesco and I will buy you the largest pudding they have. The sweetest pudding they have for being such an exceptional lad today and finishing fourth. That's nearly a podium. Nearly a podium. Who saves the queen? God. With the help of George Russell. The lad of the day again is George Russell. Thank you. Sorry, I have to get that out of my system every week. Or it just doesn't work. Good production qualities, too. Yes. It, I, I caught every other word of God Save the Queen and you yelling Tesco, Pudding, and Best Lad. That's all I do every single week is provide quality <laughs> to this program. We will take questions from the listeners and viewers. If you're watching on YouTube, we will address those if you have them as best we can. I'm not really sure so many what questions we can have from Spa in general, but of course... We're more than willing to answer the rest. Like, uh, will there be anything remotely compelling outside of the Red Bull uh, saga this season? I think silly season will be something to tangle with. Jessica, what else? What other intrigue do we have coming out of an otherwise uneventful race? Do you think we can go the rest of the season without mentioning Max Verstappen? Like, can we just cover Formula One and just let let him just win over there? Because that's not interesting, right? Like, he's he's got this. Yeah, he's got this. He's got this. So... We can just, you know what we can do? We can do what we do in a lot of other sports when there's just a foregone conclusion and there's no playoff. We can just say, right, like for a long time in the EPL, we just say Manchester United's got this. Manchester United has this, right? They no longer have it if you want to go ahead and laugh at somebody else, right? Interesting comparison, by the way. One of the organizations that Toto Wolf said he studied to prevent a decline at Mercedes was the case of Manchester United. So if you want to just double up, if you're an EPL fan who hates Manchester United, you can double up on that as well. Go ahead and move to questions. Who gave Martin Brundle the sunglasses? Who gave Martin Brundle the sunglasses? I'm going to go ahead and suggest that if this is Belgium, he received those sunglasses as a gift from our most famous Belgium and yes, I'm going to the obvious choice. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, who I, I'm not even sure if he was in attendance. I just assume that Jean-Claude Van Damme's job when you get to Belgium is to teach you how to do the splits and hand you a beautiful pair of men's sunglasses. So uh, that's who gave them the sunglasses. Jessica can hear me from, from time to time, I understand. She will wave. I will go ahead and continue reading the questions, Jessica, if you have anything you would like to add to this, just, you know, chime in 
as best you can since we're doing this via semaphore and no this is this is exciting this is great that we're having a technical failure doing this podcast after after we've made fun of ferrari all season for their various (laughs) failures it's it's kind of karma if you think about it that way i'm also now wondering if this macbook was made in ferrari's factory Mm -hmm. because of its inability to just it's like so close to being to just like we're almost there Mm -hmm. and then it just stops working again it's so close to greatness and it's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful laptop, but it doesn't work. Sleek, beautiful, mm-hmm. brand new, mm-hmm. seamless. Just great, but air, mm, air conditioning doesn't so work. Yeah. We'll go to our next question, which is thoughts on Audi joining F1. It's fascinating to me. If the future of the sport, and I've said this before, but if the future of the sport is is moving to a more hybrid engine, if it's moving towards new technologies, then you know Porsche, Audi, the people who are coming into the sport, they've been at the forefront of that. So it's fascinating to me that they are positioning themselves for, I think, with a legitimate business interest in mind. Right? Like it's it to me. They are the people who are going to be at the cutting edge of the switch from gas to electric. They are going to be the ones who probably need this visibility. You know, the, the idea behind F1 has never been that you will watch it on Sunday and drive it on Monday off of a dealership lot. The idea, you know, the NASCAR, that would be the idea that you would see a car and it would look a lot like the car that you would drive off the lot, right? And directly into the arms of waiting local police when you were caught doing 120 in a 55. That's not the case with F1. They have an inside edge to being really influential in the sport in three, four years. It's a long-term thing. Can they be competitive? Yeah. It's just there's so much capital behind it and such opportunity. And quite frankly, if you want to talk about this being a zero-sum game and there being only so much room to move in the sport, there are pieces you can move in the sport, like will. Williams, for instance, right? You know, teams at the lower tier that you can shove out of the way on your way to the top. So um, I think they'll be competitive relatively quickly. I don't think you'll see anything like an instant presence, but I think there is, I think it's a great time. I think the timing's good. Um, I, I think they'll be good. I think they'll be very influential. Next, if we have any of these, who do you trust more, Ferrari strategists or Scott Frost? I'm going to skip that because we're just going to ban... The college football F1 crossovers, mostly, okay? Mostly. I'm saying, like, there are no hard and fast rules on this show. But um, if you don't know who Scott Frost is, I don't want to introduce more incompetence into this already. We have Jessica's laptop for one. We have Ferrari on the other. We have my high baseline level of incompetence. So I want to go ahead and bypass that and not contaminate. And mine, and mine. My incompetence also. There's already a- enough going on here. Plus, Spencer, I feel like if we wanted to fill 45 minutes of, of podcast every Sunday with F1 college football comparisons, like we could just, we could easily do that. But we're not going to go for the for the low-hanging fruit, right? No, we want Because comparing Scott Frost to Ferrari is way too easy. No, I-, I think, frankly, we'd rather talk about how awesome and what, what a beaut Finland's prime minister is as the partying prime minister of Europe, right? Um, what? Also, Spencer, do this for me because my internet was not working when we were talking about this very well. Um, which United States presidents haven't danced while possibly on drugs at their uh, at the White House? Like, which presidents haven't done at the very minimum this level of partying 
at the Oval Office. Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon. That's it. Now, Jimmy Carter hosted this kind of party because Willie Nelson famously smoked a joint on the roof of the White House. Um, I think that's just what happens when you invite Willie. You just know that that's going to happen. But Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon never partied. Richard Nixon never danced. He just sat and made really off-color remarks to Billy Graham on tape in the Oval Office. That was what and he bowled. He bowled and ate cottage cheese. I don't know if you've ever seen Nixon's lunch. It's the saddest thing in the world. It's like one pineapple ring and a scoop of cottage cheese. It is. The- oh, yes. Yeah. I forgot all about that. I, I was listening to, I'll, I'll plug another podcast here, the Behind the Bastards podcast. And they, mm-hmm. they did a nice little bit on the cottage cheese, pineapple ring uh, meal debacle. That alone should get you impeached. It really should. Um, we do have an interesting segue here. What's more exciting, Alphatari points or Williams points? It's a segue to talking less about Richard Dixon and more about the end of the race. Some really interesting, like, first of all, it is always a bigger deal when Williams gets points. Alex Albon, who in my mind is the, you know, one out of five lottery shot for doing something interesting in a race. Alex Albon will sometimes just finish a whole race on one set of tires. Sometimes he'll get points out of nowhere. Yes, I think Williams getting points always a bigger deal. Um, Alphatari getting points. That's awesome. I want to point out the eighth spot. Can we look at the eighth spot? That's right. That's right. The retirement tour, Sebastian Vettel in eight. Put some respect on the man's name, just in case you haven't, which you probably have being an, an extremely intelligent F1 fan, like everyone watching this, but Sebastian Vettel in eighth, getting points for Aston. Big, big like, like, yeah, it's, it's bottom tier, but points are points, man. Take them credit where credit is due. And our final question, did you see the guy flying above the Grand Prix during qualifying? And would you like to try that? No, no, no one wants to try this. No one. You say you do, and then you're in the middle of it, and you decide what a bad idea it is. I want you to think about the last time maybe you decided to try something you were uncomfortable with, which Eleanor Roosevelt, I can tell, was wealthy and privileged, because one time she said, You should do something once a day that scares the hell out of you, right? Do something that scares the hell out of you once a day. That's how I know you're rich. That's how I know that you don't really have to worry about consequences in life, okay? Because if you're the kind of person who says, yeah, I'd like to try the flying, you know, wingsuit, jet engine, jetpack thing guy. No, you don't. You know why? Because it's terrifying. Think about the last time you tried to go do like a yoga class and you're sweating and you're going, man, this is nowhere near as fun as I thought it would be. Okay, cool. That's a yoga class. A jetpack is like levels above that. Do you want to poop yourself in the air? Because there might you be need equally as much core strength, though, Spencer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, like I think maybe we've hit on something here. Avoid things that require core strength. Okay. If evolution wanted you to have core strength, they wouldn't have made you a soft modern person. Right. That's it. Avoid things that require core strength. Playing quarterback, driving an F1 car, which only sounds fun in theory until you're doing donuts trying to get it out of the garage, right? And flying wingsuit. Don't do that. This has been DNF. We are going to be back. Where are we at next week? Oh, are we going to Italy? We're going to Italy, I believe, next week. Do I have that I right? I think we're going, to, we're going to the Netherlands next week. Zandvoort. Do, do we have to? Like, do we have to go to Holland? Yes. But then we but then we get to go to Italy after that. I mean, I don't... I want to go to Italy. Like, I'm going to be real honest. Sandvoort's cool. Sandvoort is, has an awesome name. Dutch fans, um, they're enthusiastic, if somewhat chaotic. I just want to... I just want to skip to Italy. Because, you know, it's Italy. 
we get to see Ferrari and we get to see Ferrari in front of their own fans. And then we get to see their own fans go, what are you doing in person? As opposed to like another coronation ceremony for Max Verstappen, which, you know, I can watch for entertainment's sake. I don't know if Jessica can. Either way, we're going to trade out Jess's laptop to get something that works. We're going to make sure that the Red Bull team examines the engineering, not the Ferrari one this time. We will see you for Sanford. And uh, thank you for watching. Au revoir. I need a technical upgrade.